Okay, here we go. Welcome to Adventure's first teaching series of 2021, the original Big Ten. So we're going to talk about <clears throat> this fourth commandment today. And in the interest of full disclosure, I'm an epic failure at this one, at keeping this one. Um, it's just not my nature, so it's really hard for me to keep this one. So if you get convicted today, I'm just going to tell you that's on you, that's not on me because I'm yelling at me. Um, I'm working my way through some of this stuff too. So as we look at this, this fourth commandment, what in the world does this fourth commandment about keeping the Sabbath, what in the world does that have to do with slavery? I mean, how is that even possible? So there is so much misunderstanding. There is so much bad understanding out there based on this one commandment. Um, many people believe that Sunday is the Sabbath. Biblically, no. Sunday is not the Sabbath, according to the Old Testament especially. Uh, Sunday is not the Sabbath. The Sabbath was the seventh day. The seventh day of the week is what? Saturday, right. So others believe that the Sabbath day is the absolute only day that we should have worship. Um, and I, I, I was curious, because I knew there were several. I didn't realize there were as many as I found. So you've got Seventh-day Adventist, Seventh-day Baptist, which, man, if the Baptists can fight over anything, it would make sense. They would fight over which day to worship to. Um, the Church of God, Seventh-day, the various Armstrong Churches of God. I counted like... 563 denominations or movements that believe Saturday is the only day that you should worship. And as you might expect, many of them are, are denominations where they were uh, Jewish and converted to Christianity. Um, and so they are Christians, they are Christ followers, but they're still worshiping on the Sabbath day. And that's uh, honestly, as you'll find when you go through scripture, that's okay. There's no problem with that. Many of them teach that the early Christians violated this commandment because Jesus was resurrected on Sunday, and so they started celebrating the resurrection on Sunday. And so a lot of those groups believe that those Christians broke that commandment, they violated that commandment, and of course they believe that we perpetuate that error. Um, you know, uh, so you've got that. And then you've also got... <laughs> on our side of things, where you've got a lot of Christians that just think, well, I live under the New Testament, not the Old Testament, so I, you know, I'm under the New Covenant, not the Old Covenant, so um, you know, I don't have to keep the Sabbath law anymore. That's not, that's not me. Jesus freed me from the Sabbath law. i got to just tell you that the Ten Commandments pre-existed Old Testament law. They were here first. Old Testament law came after that. So what I want to suggest to you about this Sabbath stuff today is that once you understand this commandment in its biblical context, you may be shocked to see just how life-changing, just how world-changing, um, how liberating the Sabbath can be if you learn how to work this in your life. And I think that what you'll find out is you're going to find out that this commandment, even if you don't believe in God, this commandment still benefits your life. And once you put it into practice, you'll, I think you'll appreciate what it does for you. All right, so let's read the text. We're going to break it down, and then we'll get a handle on it. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it what? Holy. holy. All right, we're going to stop there for a second. Circle the word holy. So the Hebrew word we translate holy there is the word kadosh. If you were to spell it in English, it looks like K-A-D-O-S-H. Kadosh. And kadosh means separate. Kadosh means distinct from. So essentially what you have the Lord saying is, you have him saying, keep the Sabbath day and keep it distinct from the other six days. Keep it separate from the other six days. All right? Um, back to verse 9. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male or female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner, that's an old word for foreigner, outsider living in your land, who stays with you. Again, why? Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy, made it distinct, made it separate from the other six days. Now, all right, in your notes, why is this, why is this, this command so unique? Some things about it. First thing, A. It's a positive action command. It's saying you shall take this action. Do this. Where most of the others are going, yeah, you better not do this. Uh, it's a negative action, most of the others. This is one of the only two commands that are positive action commands. You shall keep the Sabbath day and you shall honor your mother and father, which we'll get into here shortly in a, in a few days. The rest are negative prohibitions. Right? B, this is the only command with a schedule. So when it says honor your father and mother, you're to do that all the time, right? When it says don't covet, don't steal, you are to not do those things all the time. This is the only one that comes with a schedule. This one comes with a frequency. Uh, it tells you how often you need to obey it. How often do you need to obey it? Once a week. Once every seven days, all right? It gives a specific time frame for obedience. Here's the next, C. It's the only command that explains why it should be obeyed. Now, the other commands may have a blessing or they may have a warning with them. But this is the only one. There's no blessing with it. There's no warning with it. It's just simply an explanation. He basically says, God spoke the universe into existence over six days. And then on the seventh day, he didn't do any work. So he wants you to have a day that is distinctly different from the rest of your work week, not driven by trying to survive, but he wants you to have a day that your soul can be refreshed. But even beyond that, there's actually a biological imperative. Your body needs to rest, right? Now, once you get past about 50, you're very aware that your body needs to rest. If you have a toddler at home, you're very aware that your body needs to rest. All those other things, you're a little bit confused on. Um, but you need to rest. That's why you hear your CrossFit friends. They'll come back and they go, yeah, I was at the gym today. I could hardly move my legs. This was my leg day. Oh, no kidding. You just did your legs day? Yeah, and then tomorrow's my, I don't know, my chest day, my navel day. I don't know what it is. Right? <laughs> I'm going to do stuff this other day. You got to rotate. You got to give yourself time to recover. 
You know, and that's the truth. And that's what the Sabbath day is about. It's about time to give your body that opportunity to recover. But it's not just for humans. I love this. He says even your animals need a break from their work. So he includes the animals in that seven-day period. He says on the Sabbath day, not you, not your humans in your house, and not the animals on your property. Nobody should do any work. I find that fascinating. So, little trivia. So the Sabbath day thing actually goes on past animals. It's not just about mammals and other animals that you might have on your farm. It actually goes into the plants as well. Now, plants have a little different growing schedule, have quite a few different needs than us. But if you go over to Exodus chapter 23, he continues to explain it's still a six to one ratio. Six work, one off. Six work, one off. Watch this. Plant your harvest... Plant, or plant and harvest your crops for how many years? Six years. But then let the land be renewed and lie uncultivated during the seventh year. Then let the poor among you harvest whatever grows on its own. Leave the rest for wild animals to eat. The same applies to your own vineyards and your own olive groves. So living things need a period of renewal. They need that break. There's that biological imperative for every living thing. By the way, just trivia, did you know this is, as far as we know, this is the first national law ever put in place on behalf of animals. Isn't that interesting? It literally protects animals. Now, here's the extended benefit. If somebody looks at their animal and says, God says, I need to take care of that animal because he created it, so he says, I need to take care of that animal by giving it a day off every week, that same person is going to be much more kind to their animal the other six days too. Because they're going to have a respect for that animal because God has ordained that they do that. So, God took this law, didn't just apply it to the Hebrews, applied it to all humans, even those who were not Hebrew, applied it to their animals, and then even applied it to their land. Now why is all of this so important? Why does this matter? Number one, this commandment elevated all human beings. In fact, it kind of elevated all living things, but I want to focus on the human beings. How did it elevate human beings? You know, for nearly all of humanity's history, life has consisted overwhelmingly of us being our own beast of burden. We have fought for survival. We hunted, we gathered all the time. If we weren't out doing it, somebody went hungry. And so all of us have worked all the time. And this commandment, only this commandment, began to change all of that by insisting that one day a week you get out of survival mode to renew yourself. Remember, God created us in his image. We've talked about that phrase, the imago Dei, the image of God. And so God himself set the example. Let's go back, let's look at Genesis 2, where this kind of all gets started. So God himself sets the example. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, here underlined to the end. So he did what? Rested from all his work. So did God get tired? No, you realize God spoke everything into existence. I know the creative part of us wants to see God molding planets. Oh, that's a good little one. I'm going to make this one 
Oh, a little red one. This is different. We'll put it out there at the fourth spot. No, God didn't do that. God spoke everything. Anything you've ever seen on the Hubble, telegra- or Hubble telescope has been created by God's voice, by his words. Did that make God tired? No, he never needed a rest. Interesting. Have any of you ever spoken everything into existence in your life? Or have you had to work at it? We've had to work at it. And yet the God who spoke everything into existence still said resting one day a week is, is the way it needs to be. Even though you're created in my image, you need to understand you're still not me. <laughs> I rested as, as, as an example for you and you need to rest as well. It's imperative. It's important for you. All right, let's go back to the verse three. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it separate and distinct from the other six days of work. Why? Because it was the day, I love this last line, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. When it says rested from all his work of creation, you can literally translate that with the words out of the Hebrew where it says he paused working to celebrate, to prepare a celebration at the conclusion of creation, everything he did was good. And he was sitting back to look at it and go, all right, we did good on this. This is good. You see, when God takes that break, God's demonstrating that he is free, that he's nobody's slave. Because only a free person gets to say, yeah, I'm not working today. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to do that today. And with this command, he's reminding us even though we're not his equal, that we need a day off. We need to experience freedom. Being able to stop and say, I'm not working today, reminds me that I am not a slave. Slaves work three, what, 24-7, 365? Free people get to control that. Number two, this command reminds us that all people are created to be free. So once you get those words written in, go back and circle that word all. Because he says, your male servants, your female servants, even the foreigners that are living among you are to take this day off. You know, it drives me crazy when I hear people say, man, the Bible's an old, outdated book. The Bible, the Bible condones slavery. The Bible endorses slavery. Man, can I just tell you, all you're doing, you sound brilliant to a bunch of other ignorant people, but I'm just going to tell you, anybody who's actually read the book knows that's ignorance. It doesn't. In fact, the Bible does the very opposite. It reminds us that God created us for freedom. So the book of Deuteronomy goes back and looks at things in the book of Exodus, and it it explains. It kind of works like a commentary on the book of Exodus. And so it actually restates this verse in a different way um, and summarizes it. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. Now circle the next three words. That is why. So you were slaves. God brought you out of slavery. God made you free. That is why the Lord God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day because only free people get to rest. It's a reminder that God has set you free. Four or five times God reminds them that they used to be slaves. They were formerly slaves. Actually, when you get in the New Testament, the way the Apostle Paul says it is this, and such were some of you. 
You used to have to do these things. Now you don't. But it's all a reminder that God created us to be free. And the Sabbath day is a day of celebration of freedom. In other words, slaves don't get to have a Sabbath day. Slaves don't get to celebrate that kind of freedom. By the way, God understands when you're trying to survive if you have to work, but he does not intend for your whole life to be that way because you will pay a physical price for working seven days a week. You will pay a physical price. That's not why God made you. Um, and I'll just tell you, people who choose to work seven days a week are simply choosing to go back into slavery. That's the reality. You're choosing to go back into slavery. You're slaves to working for money. You're slaves to working for material things. You're making yourself a slave to work for Wells Fargo. You say, I'm not a slave to Wells Fargo. Man, I bet you if they have your mortgage, they don't agree with you about that. Because when you don't mail the mortgage in, what are they going to say? You going to get this in here? Yeah, they're not going to give you a break. So we need to be careful about those things. We need to keep a balance. We need to keep perspective. Because even the billionaire that works seven days a week is just a really, really well-paid slave. God did not create us for that. So there's, a, there's an illustration of Mark 2. So it's a Saturday, the Sabbath. Some of the religious hypocrites see Jesus and his entourage doing something that they really objected to. And let, me, let me give you the context. So there was a law that, so let's say I have a farm, I have a field, and I have planted it full of grain. Um, or it's full of wheat. We'll, we'll say it's full of wheat. So the law says that I can't harvest into the corners, so I have to round off the field. Literally, round, even the, if the field's a rectangle, I still have to round off the corners. I have to leave the wheat unharvested in the corners, every corner, and then any path that is along a road or a trail, I have to leave it unharvested. The reason for that was God did not want people to starve to death. And so if there were people who were traveling and walked along that road and they were hungry, they were allowed, that was part of my offering to God was to allow them to harvest. So they could go along there, run their hands on that, pull that, pull that wheat, the wheat heads off, you know, get the husk off of it, and then just throw it back and eat it. We used to do that when I was a kid um, all the time. And so that was, that was what that was for. But the Jews decided, wait, you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. God says work hard all those other days. So we need to determine what work is. So they actually came down to determining that making a sandwich, well, they didn't have sandwiches then, but this is modern adaptation. If you were to make a sandwich, that was work. Now, I have never made a sandwich I considered work. <laughs> I've made a lot of sandwiches I've considered masterpieces. You know, I have never thought someone should pay me to make this. No, this is my joy. Um, and so they started seeing that preparing food was a sin on the Sabbath. So they literally said to people, well, if you're going to eat it on Saturday, so Sabbath began at uh, sundown, Friday p.m., Friday evening, and ended Saturday evening uh, at 6 p.m. or sunset, whatever, you, whatever the system was. And so if you were going to eat it on Saturday, you had to make sure it was done on Friday night before sunset. And you had to set up. If you thought you were going to need 10 drinks of water on Saturday, you need to go ahead and pour all that water into cups. How ridiculous is that? I have friends who do that, who still do that, who still believe that. And I'll just tell you, wow, that's a misunderstanding in a big way. Because the same people who believe that, if one of their sheep fell in a hole, they'd go get that sheep out even though it was work. Right? So clearly uh, they, were not, they were not tracking well. But they even decided, 
At some point, you can't carry anything weighing over this amount on the Sabbath day because then it becomes work. Or you can't, you can't get out and walk on the Sabbath day more than this far before it becomes work. I'm going to show you a picture. So if you go into an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, this is called an Erev, E-R-U-V is the English spelling, E-R-U-V. And you'll see these lines, you'll see a line, it looks white in the picture, it's not white, it's black, it's just shiny, the sun's shining off of it. Um, so around light poles and things in a Jewish neighborhood, you will see that line going up and around the whole neighborhood. Go on and search Erev, New York City or map of Arab New York City. And you will find dozens of neighborhoods where they actually have it mapped out on a city map. And those people who live inside those neighborhoods can't go past that boundary line. Or it becomes work. Because then they say, oh, they're violating the Sabbath day if they go beyond that line. So I think when it started out, it was probably a good intent. You know how a lot of things start off well and end up badly? I think when they originally started doing that, they said, you know what, we probably need a visual reminder not to sin on the Sabbath by doing things we shouldn't do, like running down to Macy's or whatever, you know, and spending the day shopping. Um, and so what happened was they put those up to remind people how far to not go, and now people turned it into something it was never intended to be, originally a reminder. So let's go back to the story here in Mark. These hypocrites are trying to find something wrong with Jesus because they hate him and they look up and Jesus and his disciples along the road, the guys are running, walking along and they're pulling off the heads of the, the wheat and they're eating it. Watch what happens. The Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, if, if walking along the road and pulling the heads off of wheat to get a handful of wheat to eat, because you're starving, is harvesting, then I harvest at McDonald's drive through frequently. See what I'm saying? Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. Just doesn't work. But I love how Jesus handled them. He knew their hearts. So their hero was David. They just thought David was flawless. David, the adulterer. David, the guy who murdered a guy so he could have his wife. He was, he was flawless. And they all claim to be descended from David. And so Jesus throws them a curveball question. So he answers their question with a question. He, he actually springs their own trap back on them. So in the sanctuary, there were 12 loaves of bread. There were 12 tribes in Israel. Each tribe was represented by a loaf of bread. That loaf of bread was set on a special table, or those 12 loaves were set on a special table next to a special candelabra, which was also sitting next to a special incense dispenser. And so this incense dispenser, the smoke coming out of it, was there to symbolize the prayers of the people going up to God. And Catholicism does that today, even now. So you have this sort of holy spot. And then the 12 loaves of bread were supposed to show that Israel is completely consecrated to God and there's their prayers going forward and all that. And nobody was to touch that bread. Once a week on Sabbath, they would replace those loaves with new loaves. The priests could have the old loaves to eat, but it says the priest, it says that the old loaves could be eaten by the priest, could be eaten by the priests but they had to eat them in a special place, and, which is irrelevant. But, um, so King David is in civil war, and he's got this entourage traveling with him. And they're fighting, and they're running, and they're fighting, and they're running. And his guys are starving to death. They are so hungry. And so they go into the sanctuary, and he finds the priest, and he says, the 12 loaves, can we have those? 
That's a massive no-no in their culture. Can we have those? And so the priest gave them to those guys. Jesus is going to use that story. Watch this, Mark chapter 2. Jesus said to them, Have you, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest, and if you can imagine Jesus doing this, this would be the moment, broke the law, air quotes, <laughs> broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. All right. Then Jesus said, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of who? People. And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. He says, listen, the Sabbath wasn't made for you to keep the rules. The Sabbath was made to keep you healthy. The Sabbath is for your benefit. It's for my benefit. God made the Sabbath to protect us from destroying our bodies. Not so that we'd say, oh, man, I can't work tomorrow. What's the Sabbath? Nuts. What am I going to do now? I'm going to sit home and be bored. That's not what it was about. It was made to keep us healthy. It was made to remind us that we are free, that we have a day to do anything we want to do. We are not subservient to human ideas. Now, number three. This command began the end of slavery. Now, some people say, well, why didn't it just, why didn't the Bible just abolish slavery? Well, Honestly, almost nobody had the Bible back then, and most people rejected it. The Jews were a small group of people, beginning with Abraham, that God chose to start communicating with people again. The whole world at that point rejected God. They had no interest in God saying, and slavery was how you did your economy. And so what God did with this commandment about remembering that you are a free people, you get a day off, what he did was he started to humanize that terrible institution by making slavery impalatable to anybody who wanted to honor God, by making it impossible among God's people. See, by definition, a slave owner never had to give a slave a day off. He could work a slave, he could even kill a slave, according to most of the laws back then. Yet this command did something very different. Verse 10 again. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And this is kind of a, and by the way, genius, in case you're not getting it, when I say no one in your household does any work, this includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. So it's because of this law that there used to be in Europe and in the United States what were called blue laws. Anybody old enough to remember the blue laws other than Lisa Ashby? Remember the blue laws? So... <laughs> So what blue laws were, blue laws were laws that were passed that said certain businesses couldn't be open on the weekend, on Sunday. I mean, it picked one day a week. And in some neighborhoods, it was actually on Saturday was, was uh, the blue law day. Um, we saw that in Iowa for a long time where you couldn't buy alcohol on a Sunday, um, right? Or you could only buy alcohol for certain times of day. So those blue laws, what they, were, what they did with those was they were trying to restrict what could happen on a day so that people took time off. And a lot of people go, well, that's barbaric, telling people they can't work. Actually, 
what they saw was they saw a non-religious benefit to it uh, in making sure everybody had a day, one day a week, of no work because it was better for the economy, but it was better for the employee to have a day that they could be free. So for 11 years after the Russian Revolution, Joseph Stalin saw the weekend as an enemy of the state, as an enemy of the economy, and as, honestly, with atheist ideology, they needed to wreck the weekend because all the weekends had always been recognized as religious times. And so they decided everybody works seven days a week. So people were told every day, 8 a.m., every day, 3 p.m., whatever. Every day, you're going to be here and you're going to work every day. Guess what? Didn't take long till people started ending up in the hospital. Didn't take long till a lot of mental illnesses started to come out and people started having to go into asylums and so forth for treatment. Didn't take long for families to break up. Didn't take long for the courts to get clogged with divorce cases. See, 3,500 years ago, God said, even a slave has a right, a human right, to a day off. Because a slave is a human being too. And God declaring that even they got regularly scheduled time off offered them a dignity that they'd never had before. And it began a march toward the abolition of slavery. All right, number four. This command strengthens our human relationships. Strengthens our human relationships. You know, as the Soviets went into this thing of everybody works seven days a week, man, their workforce and their economy just crumbled. And so they came back and said, okay, we got to give everybody, listen to this, they gotta, we got to give everybody one day a week off. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to divide everybody. We're going to give them a number, one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. If their number is one, they work Sunday through Friday. They get Saturday off. If their number is two, they work Monday through Saturday. They get Sunday off. So what they did was they made sure that six-sevenths of the population was always at work. Now that seemed like a great idea because they thought, well, everybody gets a day off that way. Yeah, but maybe the wife was off on Tuesday. The husband was off on Friday. Maybe the grandparents that were going to help watch the kids were off on wrong days. And what happened was, it just made things even worse when they did that, and the family began to break down. So eventually on September 29th, 1929, even the atheistic communists who basically saw everyone under their control as slaves had to break down and surrender to a common six-day work week where everybody got the same day off. So they could do their holidays, they could celebrate their birthdays, and yeah, so they could go to worship or whatever they wanted to do. So what the communists were trying to do when they're trying to wipe out God, all they did was prove that he was right. You need a day off. Because what happens when you get a day off? When a person takes a day off, when they get that one day a week off, who do they spend that with? Usually their family. That helps with the family, family relationships. That helps with the friendships. It's got a positive effect. I mean, ask anybody who's married to a workaholic. Would you like them to take one day a week off to spend with you? Most of the time, they'll say yes. Some of the time, they'll go, no, my life is more peaceful when he's not here. Um, but you can appreciate the power of the Sabbath. All right, let's wrap this up. Conclusion. Yes, the Sabbath day, whatever day you can take it, still matters. 
You say, well, now wait, is the Sabbath on Saturday? Well, yeah, under Judaism, the Sabbath is on Saturday. We live in a very different economy. We live in a very different time. In fact, Romans 14 even mentions this. Paul's writing in Romans 14. It's just not in your notes, but Paul writes in Romans 14, yeah, one person considers one day of the week sacred, another person considers a different day of the week sacred. Just whatever you do, commit to it. <laughs> Make sure you're having that Sabbath day. Make sure you're having that time. See, every time you take a break based on the Sabbath concept, you're doing some interesting things. You've got to think about it this way from now on. When you take a break with the Sabbath concept, and you take that day off, you are affirming God's existence. You are affirming that there is a creator, that that creator spoke everything into existence, and that he commanded you that one day a week you're going to rest. Believe me, you're not doing anything in those other six days that is even close to importance of what God did in the first six days, right? You're not creating any universes or anything like that. When you take that day off, what you're showing is life isn't just a meaningless coincidence. We just didn't get here by accident, but we have a purpose. There is a unique significance. There is a reason why we exist. And a day off, one day a week, in obedience to what God said is a statement of faith in God. It's a statement of faith that God said this and I'm going to obey it. And it's a statement that, you know what? For 24 hours, I'm going to let God take care of things. That's the power of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your kindness to us and we thank you for your patience. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And on a day that for many people that are here, this is a Sabbath day. This is a day of rest. And it's a day that they've chosen to be spiritually renewed and emotionally renewed as well as physically renewed. Father, for others, it's a different day of the week because of just how their work is. But Father, we just pray that we all remember to honor you with that day off. That even those of us who screw that up a lot get better at it, become more faithful at it. Father, we thank you that you gave us this rule not as a rule for us to keep, but as a rule to protect us. That you're not trying to restrict us, you're trying to help us, and you're trying to preserve us. And that, that day of rest is important for it, being able to continue. Father, we thank you for your love, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.